I'm probably employable in some other way. So it's a leap of faith. Um, and a lot of people probably still think that I was crazy. But I will tell you, I have not looked back. And so that tells me what uh, one of my friends said to me during the process when I was like, I don't know if I should do this. And she said, whatever you choose will be the right answer. Failing. 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 I know. We talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life. A blessing. Achieve your dream. And then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. Jill Meyer, welcome to the show. I'm so excited that you're here today. Thank you for having me. So Jill is the president and CEO of the Cincinnati USA Regional Chamber, which some of you might know or might not know, it's actually the largest metro chamber in the nation. I didn't know that until I read this. Well, one of the largest, yes. Did I say the largest? You said the largest, which we'll you take. You know what? We'll take Cincinnati it. Cincinnati always wants to feel bigger <laughs> than we really are. <laughs> well, you know what? Well, in this are. space, actually, we are one of the biggest, and it's, um, it's a good credit to the way we do things around here, right? Our businesses get involved and in that the result is one of the biggest chambers in the country. And is that, so what makes it the biggest is the participation of businesses. Correct. Is that what that is? Yes. Okay, great. All right. And how long have you worked there? I've been there almost three years, actually right. three years, I think this week. Oh, happy anniversary. Thank you. And uh, where did you work before that? Frost Brown Todd. A law firm um, in the Cincinnati office. It's a law firm with offices throughout the Midwest and beyond, but Cincinnati, uh, largest office. I was there for 20 years. And so let's just start off because we typically, I'd love for people to hear where you grew up. Tell me about your family. So I am a good West Side Cincinnati girl. Yes. Yes. I grew up in the city on the western side of town, a little area called Covedale, which people from the west side will know exactly where I'm talking about. Yes. Um, for others, it um, is a little area where the city comes together with a couple of the townships and um, grew up there. I'm, again, quintessential Cincinnati family, the youngest of my parents' nine daughters. Love that. So bringing up the rear there. Um yeah, grew up there and um, did all my schooling here in town. Okay, so I do have to ask, I mean, Catholic family or not Catholic family? I mean, you answer the question. Yes, nine, Catholic Nine family. daughters. Right. Yeah. Right? Right? I love that. Okay, great. All right, and you're the baby. I am. Are you typical, like in birth order, would that describe you? I have no idea. <laughs> I, um, I've had some people tell me there's no way I'm not the oldest child, and I don't know what that means. I've always taken it as a compliment, and I'm, I'm not sure they intended it to be. Um, but I don't know. I, I I joke with my sisters. We've all had we all had very different experiences because I was at the end, yeah. and some of them were in greater chaos in the middle than I was. So growing growing up in Covedale, what was that neighborhood like? Um, I would say it's when you think about classic growing up, it was a classic growing up middle class neighborhood, kids playing until the streetlights came on, um, you know, after school, mom sent you out to play and, and that was that and tons of kids and um, schools all around and um, yeah, I'll kick the can in the street and all of those good old fashioned games that I hope kids still play. I know. I played kick the can. I loved it. Spud. Oh, I didn't play Spud. You're gonna have to tell me what that is um, afterwards. We can play afterwards. Okay, I love that. Spud. Now I gotta know. <laughs> Do you guys know what Spud is? No, they don't. What it's is it? It's a ball it? game. It's a ball game. Well, you have a like big what? bouncy like a playground ball. Yeah. And like all a red kids, like um, dodgeball. Yes, it could be a dodgeball. All the kids gather in the middle of the street, and it has to be at least dusk. 
And everybody has a number. Somebody throws the ball up in the air, everybody starts running. And if your number's called, you have to come back and catch the ball before it bounces. I remember this. I think we played this in gym. You probably did. Okay. So Spud. 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 Great. Okay. All right. So Covedale, both parents work, only your dad work? What was it that like? Dad um, went to work each day. Mom went to work each day taking care of all of us. In fact, I very recently said to someone, I have this- Thank you for correcting me on that. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I have have one kid at home and I got to tell you, a day home at at home is harder work than what I do in my normal day job. Um, Yeah. But I just said to somebody that I have this forever memory of coming home from school and my mother, God love her, in the kitchen making dinner every day when I came home from school. And I thought the planning and the amount of effort to go into feeding that many people every day. Day. 11 people yeah. every day. And the grocery shopping. I can't, I can't even I imagine. Think about it. I hate the groceries so much. I just want you to know that. That if I had to do that, I couldn't do it either. We now have click list. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. It's called Amazon too. Yeah. Uh, okay. So grew up in Covedale, and youngest of eight. Mm-hmm. And then what? Uh, still growing up, I guess. Um I went to Mount College of Mount St. Joe then, Mount St. Joseph University now. I'm first person in my family to graduate from college. Really? And then I went from there to Chase Law School at Northern Kentucky University. So first generation college. Yes. That's amazing. Did you always know that you wanted to go? Yeah. Was it always expected that you were going to go? No, not at all. Um, in fact, I had a few of my sisters went for a few years or for however long they went. I I was a kid, so I remember them going, but I don't remember the full conversation. And others of my sisters got employment out of high school and did quite well. And mom and dad were, you know, what whatever you do to make yourself happy and to make sure you can support yourself, you do it. Awesome. Okay. So you, you go off to college and you knew in college too that you wanted to be a lawyer. Yeah. I don't know why did you either. Know that? I don't know. I, when I was in high school, I decided I was I probably should be a lawyer, and I have no explanation for it. Okay, so did you know somebody that was a lawyer? Because no. I didn't. It's the weirdest story. Did you have any family members, women family members, that worked outside of the home as role models? Um, you know, I'll answer that two ways. So when I was a kid, I had sisters who were much older, and they worked. So working was something that people did. But I I had friends from the time I was a kid whose mothers did work. And like careers. Yeah. Because I didn't really have that. Yeah, they. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of my childhood best little girlfriend. Her mother was a teacher. And my other little best girlfriend, her I had two of them who were a teacher and one who was a nurse, which is interesting just given the evolution of um, careers and women and where they are. Um, and then when I got to high school, I would say more of my friends' mothers worked in different careers as well. Got it. Okay. Okay, so law school happens, and after law school, you go and automatically go work for a law firm. Was it Frost Brown Todd then? It was. Well, it was called Frost and Jacobs then, but it was um, that law firm. I had the good fortune to get uh, an internship there during law school and then joined right out of law school and 
thought I would spend the whole rest of my career there. So why, after 20 years, did you make the switch? <laughs> I ask myself that question sometimes <laughs> still. Um, no, honestly, um, I'll, I'll truncate the story. I never thought I would stop practicing law. I, I love private practice of law, and everybody made the jokes of, oh, you don't have to bill your time now. I think billable hours are a perfectly reasonable way to live life. Mm -hmm. um, and I loved my clients. The firm was phenomenal. Everything was good. And then along came an opportunity presented to me to come over and lead the chamber. And the discussion was around the fact that if you think about three years ago, so it was sort of early to mid-2015, things were starting to there were some eyes that were starting to look at Cincinnati and the area of what was happening, and there were some things ticking. And the conversation was, can you come over and build some serious strategy and start executing because we cannot let this momentum get by? And I had, I guess, voiced enough opinions in rooms, including the chamber boardroom, which where okay, I was. Okay, so you were on the board. I was. And so they knew your your talent. They knew your, your strengths. They knew my passion. They knew how I approached that part of the conversation, for sure. And so with that opportunity presented, I, after resistance and after, you know, all of the thought process you go through in, in switching, like, why would you leave a career you love? Right. Um, it became clear to me that this was something I really needed to do. Had you thought of switching careers any at any point before that? Um, not seriously. I mean, I've always been a big proponent of you always should keep your eyes open because, you know, who knows what tomorrow brings and you should never be fully dependent on other people. Yeah. You need to make sure you have your own compass. Um, but no, I had never really thought about leaving because that's, that's what I did. That is how I think. That's what I do. That's what I loved. I keep the question that keeps coming to me is that comment, um, never be fully dependent on others. Was there something that you grew up with, like in your childhood that where you got that belief from? I don't. I mean, I'm sure. Um, I, huh. I don't know the answer to that. I, I, I'm going to say sure. Of, of, um, of course, there was there's not like a defining moment or a something that happened if that's yeah. what we're searching for. Um, I did grow up with a mother who was fiercely independent yeah, and fostered in each of us that we were our own little ship. Um, the joke, you know, growing up with a, a house full of girls, I'm sure my mom and dad heard it all, um, but my sisters and I will joke now, my mom's um, since passed, but she would say to us, um, I don't care what everybody else is doing, and it doesn't matter. Nobody's looking at you anyway. Um, and, and her whole point was, like, come on, move beyond. You you build what you're building and do it because it's, it's driving you and it's going to fulfill you and sustain you. So she was very, I mean, not, not preachy or philosophical, but very practical. Yeah, and, pragmatic. And yeah. Does it, is this what you want and is this a good thing for you? And if not, I don't know why you're doing it. Because nobody else and nobody else is looking. No, nobody else is looking at you. You figure it out. Cool. I guess it sounds like it could have been a harsh message, but a harsh message, but it really wasn't. No, I kind of like it because mm -hmm. it's reality. Yeah, nobody's nobody's looking at you. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, where were we? I just um, had to ask about oh, that question. Uh, yeah, the the independent because streak. oh, this is what I wanted to tell you for that. So for me, I can remember. 
probably in grade school where um, my mom stayed my mom stayed home and took care of us. My dad worked. My dad did really well, but he was commissioned. So every month it was a new month, right? Mm-hmm, right. And every month it was a little stressful at the beginning of the month. And again, he did really well. Um, but you never knew. But you never knew. And I, I can remember thinking, I'm never going to live that way. I'm not going to have, I'm not going to, I'm going to work. Yep. I'm not going to depend on my husband. And for some people, that's a beautiful thing because that's very trusting with mm-hmm. or partner, whoever yeah. it might be. Yeah. Um, but for me, it just wasn't the right thing. And that was my moment. Yeah. Um, and that, So as you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, the question you had earlier about birth order. I do think there's some element of, I was the last one. Whether you want to say mom and dad were tired, they'd been there, done that, nothing surprised them. Yeah. Um, but I had a lot of independence as a little one. And, um, you know, in some regard, I had all of these sisters who were constantly watching me. But by the same token, they all had their own lives. And they were, in many regards, much older, right. not too concerned with what I was doing. And so I think I probably had a lot of freedom and figured out how to get things done my way and that I probably could get it done my way if I wanted to. Yeah. And so that probably was an imprint a little yeah. bit. As I'm right? just as I'm sort of thinking through it. Um you know, one one of the other jokes, I played a lot of sports as a kid. Yeah. And that this was in the day when you walked to school and walked home right. and you walked to volleyball practice. And it was dark when it was over, so someone would pick me up. But my family always forgot. <laughs> and so I would come home. I would come through the front door, and my mom would look up and say, Oh, Jill, did we forget you again? And I would say, It's okay. I know my way home. So it was funny, but it was like that was just a reality for me, and it yeah. was fine. It was fine. And it was I'd, fine. But yeah. that was so resilient of you. You're like, oh, okay. But I think that's the... The last kid when you're either getting too much attention or not any attention or, you know, mom's busy and everybody else is doing their own thing. You sort of figure out how to make things roll. Yeah. And not get, concerns probably the wrong word, but not get rattled because somebody didn't come get you. Or right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, a, well, I know how to get home anyway. Right. I love that. Okay. Great. All right. So for the the... When it, so I know the title was member in charge mm-hmm. at Frost Brown Todd. Does that mean like partner? Does yeah. that mean CEO? What does that mean? Yeah, it means um, the partner in charge. It, okay. It's a partnership, but it technically is a um, LLC, which means they were all members and not partners. Okay. It was right. unnecessarily confusing. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's all right. So basically, you're the leader there, right? The How leader of years? the Cincinnati office, yeah. Right. And there are a number of offices. How mm-hmm. many years did it take till you got there? And did you, was, was that your goal? Did you set out to get that? No, I can't say I set out to get it. Um, and I, let me think, I had been practicing, so I started practicing in 96, and in 2009, I think, was when I was named the partner in charge, member in charge, but um, understand that that was under a new governance structure for the firm. So we we hadn't had office members in charge before that because before that we were an office based in Cincinnati and then okay. we became bigger and then we moved to a model where you had a, a partner who was in charge of each office so I was the first one of those under that model in Cincinnati okay so it wasn't it wasn't something to build toward because it didn't because exist it didn't when exist. I was a young lawyer no right okay but a big position there. And then how many years were you in that role before you switched to the chamber? Um, so I started that in 
2009, and I went to the chamber in September of 2015, so right. about six and a half years, almost seven years. Okay. All right, so that's cool. That's some good history background for us. I love this concept, though, of kind of you really did a big shift in career. And so I think before we get into some failures and talk about that, I think um, maybe share with listeners some advice that you have for those people who are making a pretty significant shift. And how did you know to do it? You know, it's a, um, I, I hate to say something that people say all the time, but it's a gut thing. And um, I had a conversation with somebody yesterday. There's always a head and a heart thing. Yeah. And there are all different reasons why your heart's telling you one thing and, and your head may be going in another direction. Um, but the reasons that are in the head tend to be the more practical. Well, I've built this career and I have this great book of clients and I love my work and I'm good at this job and I love this firm and the firm's doing well. And I could name all of those things. And then when you stopped and said, why would you even, why are you even thinking about doing this? And then it was passion. Because I know this, I know that we're on our way to something really great. And I think I have something that I can give to offer. And, 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 and if I fail, I can go do something else, right? You could go like, back. There's something. Being an attorney, right? Or, or not. Because or at that point, different. right, I've walked away from my, my book of business. Um, I'm probably employable in some other way. So it's a leap of faith. Um, and a lot of people probably still think that I was crazy. But. I will tell you, I have not looked back. And so that tells me what um, a, one of my friends said to me during the process when I was like, I don't know if I should do this. And she said, whatever you choose will be the right answer. Yeah. So I think people put tremendous pressure on themselves to choose the right answer. Right. And then you start overanalyzing in this, that, and the other. Um, and I think she's right that people, you go through a process, but at the end, you are what you do. Yeah. And so what you choose to do is right for you. Yeah. I like that. Whatever you choose will be the right answer. So was it your head that wanted to do it? Was it? Is, was it no. I mean, it was from, all passion and heart for you. Yeah. I mean, not if as you much were, logic. No. If you were to look, plot out somebody's career on a, on a map or wherever you did it, you would say, Jill started here and this is what she started building and this is where she's going and this is what she's doing. And she's going to walk away from that. In fact, my last day in the office after I had you know, client by client, matter by matter, handed off to somebody and made sure everybody was all good and they were in good hands and everything was going to be just fine. I had the sheet that had all my clients and matters listed to do a one more. Did I get everything? Have I tended everything? And then it hit me like, oh, yeah, I, I'm walking away from this. And I walked into the office of one of my partners who's a dear friend and I just held the piece of paper up and said, am I crazy to walk away from this? And without missing a beat, he looked up and said, well, of course you are, but that's why you're Jill, and that's what makes you Jill. You've always been a little bit crazy. Oh, I love that. And I said, oh, okay. Okay, good. <laughs> this is all going to be just fine. Right. This is meant to be then. Yeah. So advice for people, listen to the gut. Uh, yeah, and really listen to your gut. So get out of your head. I'm not saying that there's no logic that should come into play, Yeah. Um, but try to get out of your head a little bit and just let it let it talk to you. I think the key too that you mentioned was passion. You mm -hmm. need to be passionate about the job. Yeah. So for me in starting Blown, the blow dry bar, I was passionate about starting a new business. I can't say I was passionate about 
hair, mm-hmm. right? Right. I but wanted it, was a, to be, it was a new opportunity. It was a new opportunity. I'm like, I'm going to try this. Did I live and breathe hair? No. No. But I think the key, if I were to change it now, I would say it needs to be something, it needs to be a business that I'm super passionate about. Yeah. And, um, you know, some people would say, well, I, I, I'm passionate about a lot of things. Um, I would say, no, you're not. And it's those things that you really, you, you can't fully explain why you're so interested in them. That is really where your passions lie. And some of us are really fortunate to find those at a time where we can play around a little bit with it. Yeah. Um, some people find those things when they're retired or in a, in a place where they're not happy with what they're doing. Um, but I, I think it's the almost the inexplicable engagement you have with something you can't quite put your finger on why this excites me so much, that's where you're going to find your passion points. And when you are lucky enough to find those, I would be a huge advocate to anyone to walk away from reason and logic and follow it. And I say this being one of the most logical people I know. (laughs) It's almost to a fault. Okay. So I want to know about your passions, but I also want to know how do you find that passion? And you started to talk about it. But how do people find their passion? I think you gotta you gotta put yourself out there, um, allowing yourself the space to 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 explore. You have to be curious. If you're not curious, learn how to be curious. You can learn. Um, you have to be comfortable being how, uncomfortable. Hold on. How do you learn how to be? I know how you can learn to be uncomfortable, but how do you learn how to be curious? Let's talk about both of those. Well, I I um I will say I have the good fortune I was born curious, right? I I've always asked the question why and was never quite satisfied. And some kids are just wired that way. Yeah. I think that everybody, and this is the overly logical me, I think that even for people who aren't necessarily intrigued to say, I wonder what's actually behind that door and why is it locked all the time? And I'm gonna see if I can figure out how to unlock it and see what's in there. There's a something that even a very logical, I'm not so interested, there's something there they can learn that feeds something in them. And it's a combination of people saying, I'm content with what's in front of me right now, which is great. It's great to be content. But what if you could be more content? Or what if there's a little slice of something that you don't even know exists that might just surprise you? Um, What if you meet somebody who's really interesting? Or what if you find a you, I don't know, you, you, you discover something or you find something that's um, re- sparks a memory. Like they're, they're just, mm. you can teach yourself to, to venture into some things because there's always going to be something. And it's, I think pe- some people just aren't born curious. They're perfectly content here and that's wonderful. Right. But for other people, I think there's an opportunity to push themselves a little bit out of their comfort zone and out what you find outside of your comfort zone you may never know how happy and intrigued you can be unless you put yourself out there. And if you're content to keep yourself in your perfectly happy world, you'll be happy. But you might be extraordinarily happy and fulfilled in a way you never knew existed if you can f- just push yourself outside of your zone. And everybody can do that in some regard, whether it's personal or business or religious or you name it. Okay, so I'm going to recap it. So finding your passion is around, so like I'm going to reframe this, but building your curious muscle, right? Be curious. And you can be curious by getting out of your comfort zone and trying new things. I would say that's one way, right, for people to find their passions. Because what, what I think a lot of people do, and it makes perfect sense, you 
um, I'm going to pick one example. There are lots of examples. I graduate from high school. I get a job or I go to college. I get a job to support myself because that's what I'm supposed to do. Right. And then I do things that come to me. And if I'm, I'll do some things that I know that I like to do. And I will live my life that way and I'll be happy. And you probably will be happy. But what if you were open to saying, you know, this weekend, instead of going to the restaurant where I like to go to for brunch, I'm going to instead walk across that bridge into this neighborhood and find a restaurant I've never heard of and eat there. Right. Some people would say, why would I do this? Exert energy. I know what I like. I'll go get it. Well, because you might find something you really like. That's a really simple example, and it's not the only way, but I think people have so much going on in their lives that it's a luxury to stop and break out of what you should be doing. I'm putting that down. Break out of what you should be doing. Well, for for whatever reason, right? I should work today because I should go to this church because I should go to bed early tonight because yeah. I should not have one more glass of wine because right? or bourbon in or your bourbon case. <laughs> as the case may be. Um, but it's 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 easier, it's safer, but you have to be willing to take those risks and just expose yourself. Who do you know that does the best at this of doing what? Uh, breaking out of your comfort zone or being curious? Um, that's a great question because I feel like there are a lot – I have a lot of people around me who are like, let's try it, right? Um, hmm. Let me chew on that one. Okay. We'll Let come me back chew to on that. that one. That could be a um, speed I mean, round at the end. It could be, and this might or, sound – Or if you can't think of one. Well, we this might it. sound a little sappy. My husband – yeah, tell me about him. He he is well. First of all, can you say I know about him? But can you say professionally what he is known for? So my husband is his name is Awadajan Pratt, and he is an internationally renowned concert pianist. And everybody in the studio was talking about it before you came. He well, him. he he's not only that, but he's also just a really cool guy, right? And his yeah. his music abilities are mind blowing because he's also a violinist. He's also a conductor. He's on a whole different planet when it comes to these things. Do you think some musicians are more curious than others? Y- yeah, yes, they operate in a different wave of life than others. They explore differently. They hear things differently. They process differently. I absolutely. Do you think your that. son's going to be a musician? Um, well, he's he is a violinist right now, he a is? little budding one. Yeah, he's been taking lessons for about a year, and he loves it. Wait, and how old is he? He's he turned five in April, so he's okay. five and a half. Hmm? Okay. So Awadajan is, um, and I don't know if this is a product of what he does, or if what he does is a product of this is how he is, um, but tremendously um, successful, but engaged and interested and so many components of the world so it's not all music right he's he likes history he tons of he likes to joke that he he's a better lawyer than i am um (laughs) because he once got himself out of a traffic ticket um he loves food and can tell you a million things about food and wine and cooking and 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 cars like so it's because he's he's curious, curious right he's 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 also really smart, but he takes the time to say there is something that is going to add some richness to my life if I hang around with this for a while. Yeah. And it, 
makes him a really interesting person to hang I around. I bet he would be so awesome to have it at a dinner party. You know some dinner parties that you go to and you get seated next to the person that's so super cool and interesting? Yeah, he's that guy. Right? Uh-huh. And like for that. the record, I never get to sit next to him at dinner parties because they always separate don't. the husband and wife. Right. I know. <laughs> They're like, you see him enough of him. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. No, he's that guy. Okay. So he would be an example mm-hmm. of yeah, curious. And I, yeah. There's there's a component of it, too, that comes with not being intimidated yeah. by the unknown. Right. Not being afraid or fearful of the unknown, too. Yeah, yeah like, m- maybe I'll look stupid if I ask this question, but who cares because I want to know the answer. Yep. Or I'm going to try to pronounce this word in a different language, and I'll probably botch it, but I'll learn how to say it, yeah. and I might make a new friend. Those kinds of things don't... Can he laugh at himself, I guess? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think most people are not as comfortable being so vulnerable. I think that's a key too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, putting yourself out there is not easy. No. And at least in this day and age, we, people are, are trained to follow these rules and do this really well and look good and act a certain right? I mean, yeah. there, there are norms that people are well, conditioned to and, follow. And, you know, that's part of our mission is that we want people to see failure as opportunity. Mm-hmm. It's not a four-letter word. Mm-hmm. It's something that's pos- that can become positive. And that could be, um, that could range from anything, a business failing right. to, yeah, maybe looking silly or stupid yeah. because you pronounced a word incorrectly. Yeah. Right? Right. And in all of it, there is opportunity for growth. So how big the failure you know, maybe you look stupid in front of a group of people you'll never see again. Big deal. Right. Maybe you drive the business into the ground because you didn't know better. Right. You've learned. Um, yeah. Okay. I super dig that. So our curious thing, that is our theme, and I really like it a lot. Um, and it's about finding your passion, right? Mm-hmm. That's part of finding your passion. Mm-hmm. So I want to know a couple of your passions, and then let's get into some good failure stories that you've got. What um, do you love to do? What 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 do you get? What are you happy or brings you joy? I prefer the joy joy word yeah. versus happy. Joy is a good word. Yeah. Um, so I could take this in a lot of directions. I will tell you a a, a place of joy for me personally is a, in a forest, a big forest with maybe a friend or maybe alone, but hiking and exploring and smelling the smells and hearing the sounds and feeling the smallness of you in the midst of something you have no control over but is there for beauty for you, for exploration. Um, That is a place that it will always has been and will always be my place of just pure joy. And peace, too. Yes. Head clearing, um, relaxing, invigorating, all of those things tied up into one. I respect people who can go and do that alone. I think that is um, remarkable. It's a different kind of head clearing, right? I've spent a ton of time hiking alone, much to the chagrin of people in my life. Um, I haven't done so much of that since I don't practice law anymore so I used to travel a lot more and when I would travel if there was some good hiking nearby I would either 
build it into my days there because if you're off in another city taking depositions or in court or doing whatever you're doing boy a good head clearing hour is a good thing yeah um but i used to spend a lot of time doing that okay so that's your joy right Mm -hmm. there Mm -hmm. alone preferably but if you can go with others that's um, I, I would no. say there's a time and a place to be alone and otherwise to share it. So back to my little critter, um, he's he's beginning to go on small hikes with me and yeah. exploring the forest through the eyes of your five-year-old is a whole different world of joy. Oh God. Totally different, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Let's, uh, other, any others that you want to talk about passion-wise? Um, yeah, I mean, it seems boring to say that hiking is my passion. It's no, just it what doesn't. I like to do because I like that it brings it brings up this whole concept around joy, which I'm super into right now. We do posts every week because um, we recommend joy, play, and self care. Yeah, and people aren't doing fun or no. play anymore, yeah. right? Yeah, it's like work scripted yeah un unscripted play and whatever that leads to. Like who who like you know plays like a kid anymore. Well, and even if you have one, let's be honest. Right. Kids don't run out in the street and play kick the can anymore until yeah. you get called to come in. They yeah. just, I mean, in some neighborhoods you do, I'm sure. Yeah. I, I suspect it's not where I am right now. Yeah. Um, but no, there are other things. I mean, I, I tend to be a, a, a people person. So while I like an alone hike in the, in the forest and I like a good read, I like to read a lot, um, I also, at the end of the week, like, give me a, a bottle of wine and a couple of good friends and let us just unwind together and laugh and, um, you know, talk about the week or what's ahead. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I would I would say nothing exotic in my passions, but. Well, the forest is pretty nifty. I like that. Forest is a good place. Yeah, it is a good place. It's a good place to hang. I just like the word forest, too. You know, you could have said woods or mountain, but forest is like it's the, the cool, old-fashioned kind of word. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. It is. It's like the Isn't Winnie it? the Pooh word. Yeah. I'll meet I really you in the forest. It. Yeah, meet you in the forest. Okay, let's get into your failing. Any really yeah. good? So here's the question that I always ask people, and I've had different responses. But um, has there ever been uh, an experience that you've had that either brought you to your knees and humbled you uh, that you would share that people could learn from? Hmm. There has to have been. I mean, I I will tell you that I've answered this question before that I hope I haven't had my biggest failure yet. Yeah. Because I like to believe that I'm continuing to build things that will create the biggest failure I possibly could have. Um, But goodness, over 20 years of practicing law, um, you know, I could think about learnings over the years where I didn't handle something exactly right. sort of internal conflict type things, um, personal relationships. I don't know that there's that there, and maybe it's just the nature of the beast. I don't know that there's something that brings me to my knees over it. Yeah. Um, I can be very hard on myself, as a lot of people can, but I I tend to, and I'm like this whether it's a, a, a failure in a work situation or if there's a disagreement in a personal situation, 
I'm a put it on the table, deal with it, and move on type of a person, which is not always the healthy way to do it. But I don't like to be bogged down in stuff. I think that that actually is the healthy way of dealing it, right? Because then know. you face it head on. Yeah, but there Come are to a solution and then move on. But there are other people involved, and not everybody processes the same way. And sometimes you, I have come to learn, you hurt people's feelings more when you dust it off and keep going, and then they think you didn't really care. So there are a lot of those personal learnings. So listeners, one of the questions that uh, somebody on my team asked was to ask Jill her thoughts on work-life balance. And before I started to ask that, I said to Jill, I don't really know if I want to talk about work-life balance because I feel like women get asked that question more than men do. And it's sort of a trigger for me. Or maybe trigger is not the right word. What would be the right word, Jill? It's kind of like an annoyance factor. It's an annoyance factor. (laughs) Yeah. Can you talk about this? Let's talk about this. Yeah, because what I said to you was I hate talking about work-life balance. I think it's a myth. And I think people waste far more energy trying to figure out what work-life balance is and when they should just get to it, live it, enjoy it. So why do people ask about it, though? Well, to your point, do they ask women more than men? Probably. I will say that I do think that we're still in a world where women at least feel like they're supposed to find work-life balance. And maybe this is where you and I share the, the mutual, why are we talking about this again? Because what I have said for a long time is... Stop wasting your energy on that and instead embrace your chaos. Be grateful that you have a life filled with chaos. Embrace it because this is life. Live it. You might not be home for dinner at 630, but maybe you will be tomorrow or maybe not this month, but maybe next month. Who, whoever defines where your balance is to be measured is such an individual thing. So embrace what you've built for yourself. And I hope for you it's chaotic. But the key word is your, and this is where I think this question comes up a lot. Yeah. People who have chaos that's not their chaos are searching for work-life balance. Because they have no, they don't have responsibility or ownership over it. They, they're not. They have adopted someone else's chaos as their own, or they've taken other people's pieces and made chaos in their life and they don't want it. They, they have to do it. They don't own it, and they don't want to own it. And they're got it. And I appreciate full well that we're not always, always at times in our life and in positions where we can just reject and do exactly what I want to do. That's not reality either. Yeah. But there is always something within your kernel of ownership to say, you know what? I appreciate this opportunity. I'm going to take it for what it is for me, and I'm going to recognize I'm never going to do this again. It's creating chaos in my life. It's his chaos. I'm going to get through it, and I'm going to learn from it. So then it becomes mine. But people who are always trying to manage all this stuff that people are making me do, stop. Stop. If it's not yours, done. Push it out. You can't just get rid of all of it again. Reality checks. But you should have enough of that chaos should be yours that you feel like you're damn right my life is chaotic and I'm so grateful that I have this opportunity. Okay, so I'm going to give you an example. I want you to give some advice on this one. So let's say that you have a manager 
who lives in a world of chaos, right? Or let's say a partner, okay? My mom lived in a world of chaos. <laughs> and um, and not in like a dysfunctional, not a bad way, but yeah. she just, she thrived yeah. on it. Yeah. Her, she thrived on her chaos and would sometimes put that chaos on me. And then, you know what I would do? I would put it on my husband. Yeah. Because we all had to help and it was Thanksgiving and everybody had to do something until 2 a.m. in the morning to help set up the table, blah, blah, blah. Right. And he would always say to me, an emergency on her part does not constitute one on mine. Yes. Right. He yes. could see it. I couldn't always see it. And I couldn't get out of it. So how do you create a boundary so that it's not your chaos? Well, you just use the words. You create a boundary. I'm happy mother, to do X, Y, and Z for you, I can't do A, B, and C. You've created your boundary. There's, I'm sure, a piece of you that want wants or wanted some of that chaos because it's your mom and it's a holiday. Right. And it's like, that's part of yeah. you too. I also grew up with that kind yeah, of chaos. Yeah, that's normal. Like I was used to it. It yeah. was my normal. That's how, that's how yeah. you just... But I did not like her chaos. So you you let it be hers and fit whatever part of it fits into your plan and your world of acceptability, and you roll with that part, but you have to put the boundary down. And this is where the reality check comes in, right? So it's one thing, though, if it's your mother. Right. It's another thing if it's your manager. Right. So what do you do about the manager? Well, this is where I will come back to something I said about um, owning the 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 never being dependent on other people. So my happiest days when when you have an employee who says, "I love this about my job. This is the part that is either not my strength or I've realized I don't really dig this part. Um, but here's here's my solution, right? Sure, there are things we all have to do that aren't our favorite parts. Right. Know, that right, just right. comes with the territory. But if you take your snapshot of your overall, are you building what? What makes you happy? What makes you feel like you're doing what your purpose for being here is? And are you like, are you deriving joy? I'll use your word. Is there joy in your life? Or is it just chaos because you're not getting anything from it? You're just doing. It's activity for you. It's not anything else. And if it's just activity for you and nothing else, you got to figure out how to get rid of it. Well, if it's joy and if it's your passion too, right? Yes. Tying back to our passion. Yes. We just tied it back. Yes. So people will say to me, oh, I, I don't know how you keep track of everything that you do and this, that, and the other. And I often say, um, th my husband's busier than I am. But guess what? He loves every minute of what he does. And I love every minute of what I do. So our, if you put our schedules on top of each other yes. and people have and said, your poor child, he doesn't have a, a, a hope. And I'm like, no, he <laughs> he's learning. That you figure it out, right? Yeah. Like there's something that you should love and it should take up some of your time. Yeah. And you should share it with other people and you should become a master at it. So, I, again, I don't want to – I say I get in trouble when I have this conversation sometimes because there are there's a big component of people who say, I'm, I feel insulted by you. It's not – everybody doesn't get to choose everything they want to do. I don't get to choose everything I want to do. You know, there are some things I do daily that I think, oh, God, I don't really care for this part. But overall, I am tremendously blessed to have the opportunities that I have. And is it chaotic? Absolutely. Do I get off at the end of the week, get off the, the uh, merry-go-round sometimes and think, what just happened? Yeah. Yes. But that merry-go-round ride is fun. It is fun. And at the end of the day, we all have a choice. Yes. We have 
a choice. Yes. And some would say, well, I don't really have a choice because I can't just walk away from a paycheck. And yes, what you can. I, what I would say is go find a new paycheck. Exactly. I think we could solve the world problems. I think we just did. I think we just did for that one. <laughs> just, just hang with us. We got it. Jill, I just want to say thank you. This was an incredible conversation. We never really know where they're going to go. So I really loved the conversation around finding your passion and, of course, the work-life balance bullshit. Right? <laughs> Am I allowed to say that word? I think you're allowed to say that. But seriously, thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me. It was a fun, fun conversation. Fun to be with you, Sarah. I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, Anna Bolke, our producer, and the incredible team at Gwyn Sound. If you liked this episode, please, please go to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and write a review. 